G'day and welcome to Season 5 of Radio Notes. I'm John Murch and coming up today, Jessica O'Donoghue will be our feature guest. Before we dive into that conversation, just want to mention some of the guests we've got coming up this season that you may be interested in subscribing or following so you don't miss. We'll be reissuing our conversation with Zanny with a brand new album from her called An Accurate History of Electronic Music coming out in 2023. Joe Hildebrand of Sky News as well as Sunrise and 2GB Radio when we spoke to them. Kelly Lang, friend of Olivia Newton-John, talking about thriving through their cancer journey. We'll get jazzy with the rookies. Charles Firth of The Chaser will join us. Lisa Caruso, In Feelings was the name of their album, which featured Shake Baby Shake, which was featured on a TV series of note. We'll talk about the brand new stretching EP from them. Hannah Cameron is also on the way. In 2023, Holding Pattern will be their brand new album, and we'll have some exclusive insights on that very record. But for now, let's dive into today's feature guest. Jessica Donoghue received classical training from Sydney University and Victorian College of the Arts and also was a young artist at London's Covent Garden. The Australian Institute of Music have awarded a fellowship to her for outstanding achievements and services to the Australian music and performing arts industry. Jessica was also the recipient of an APRA AMCOS Art Music Award for Performance of the Year. Notated composition in 2021, and in that same year, the AIR Women in Music Mentorship Program Award. In 2022, she released her album Rise Up, which includes the emotive single Good Grief. Currently, she's working on a new music based multidisciplinary stage show. While in Sydney for the Australian Podcast Awards, John invited Jessica for this unscripted chat that covers motherhood, opera, performance, and being a daughter of Rory O'Donoghue from The Auntie Jack Show and more. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you. What's your earliest memory of music in your life? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, I grew up in a super musical family. My grandparents on both sides were professional artists and musicians. And then my dad, Rory O'Donoghue, was a quite a well-known musician, comedian, performer. So I just grew up surrounded by music. I think, you know, my earliest memory ever would just be listening to Dad sitting on the couch, playing his guitar and singing. Music was my life right from the beginning. Focusing on the younger years, Mm. what was that parental engagement with your music like? So you were engaging with him playing music. What was the other way around? And I guess what I'm saying was, was there a level of encouragement or was it more hands-off? It was very hands-off. I'm the youngest of four kids in my family. And so um, my parents had basically given up. They were outnumbered and um, exhausted by my siblings. So, which for me, I think was a blessing. Um, I never felt any pressure to follow in my artist, you know, before me footsteps. I was just surrounded by it and I just loved it. It was home to me. It was connection for me. And I came to it in my own way. And as I sort of developed as an artist myself, there was that encouragement and understanding of what I was doing. And I think that was a blessing. You know, I grew up in an environment and a family who understood the industry, knew that it was a job. It was a real viable path to follow. Not an easy one, that's for sure. But, you know, my parents went there saying, go and get a real job. 
at the same time they weren't like you're going to be a star you know you must do this and practice eight hours a day and you know they were very hands-off and just let me find it in my own way who were the mentors at that stage then if it wasn't the family in that aspect who were the mentors who were you looking to for guidance to get on with that passion look I think that they you know I mean my dad was such an inspiration to me I used to just watch him in awe and as he sort of created music but also just worked that was his job it was just sort of so inspiring in many ways but also just so run-of-the-mill in many ways and I think for me that meant I, I really sort of took for granted that influence in my life for many many years until a lot later on when yeah, it was yeah. like wow so how blessed was I but f- but for the most part, it was like, oh, you know, like, so I, I like singing. I'm good at it. I like music. That's going to be my job, just like it's my dad's job. And, you know, he goes out and gigs and he writes music for jingles and he's on telly and he, you know, does this and that, a whole mm-hmm. host of stuff. It was just an everyday occurrence. You know, you know, I sort of didn't appreciate that people would pay lots of money to go and see my dad sing because he was just like always sitting on our couch and singing and playing the guitar. And it was amazing, but also it was just like very normal. It was just the soundtrack to my everyday life. I think my grandfather was a big influence. He actually worked with actors and did Feldenkrais and a lot of body movement. And he was quite invested in my development from that sense, you know. That I think is where the more theatrical aspects of your performance comes from. Yes, look, that and my grandmother, Sybil O'Donoghue, who was dad's mum, and her husband, Terry, who were both opera singers in the Doily Card Opera Company. So they were very much this operatic, theatrical, on stage, larger than life figures. And granddad, on my, who was my mum's dad, and actually my grandmother, who was my mum's mum, was a singing teacher as well. So they were a little bit more, um, I guess, I don't know, domestic in their musical activities. And granddad worked with actors in theatre, which I really enjoyed. And I think I sort of turned to granddad more because it was a less kind of direct comparison with what he was doing and what I was doing. I did feel a lot of pressure, not because they put it on me from my father and my grandmother, but just by the very nature of I was just really following quite clearly in their footsteps, whereas granddad on my mother's side, he was in the arts, but it was a whole nother kind of sector and I felt safer there. Um, I felt there was a distance and I could sort of connect more without feeling kind of pressure. Did teen angst ever play a part? Did you reach a point where you did want to break away from that family unit? Oh, definitely. I think for the most part of my career, I was trying to break away from family expectations and, you know, imagined pressures. Dad and I used to perform together a lot, you know, just by the fact that we lived together (laughs) and you know at all our family functions and all the parties we'd go to we'd always get up and play together and my brother played bass and dad played guitar and we'd sing duets and I was always called up to sing you know so he was such a big part of my journey and I I needed to find myself apart from that yes I didn't want to be Roy O'Donoghue's daughter and Mm. I didn't want to be Sybil O'Donoghue's granddaughter either as I sort of ventured into opera that was another kind of roof over my head in many ways there must be a point where opera was it. Mm. When was that? That was sort of as I was leaving high school and going into uni and I thought, okay, well, now I need to get serious about this music thing. I'd already done heaps of performing and been involved in music for a long time, but then I'm like, okay, well, now it's time to make it a 
you know, a real career and how do I kind of develop my skills and my craft to the extreme and I wanted to do it, you know, do all the right things, <laughs> being the perfectionist that I am. And to me, I guess, you know, the most developed form of singing for my craft was the, was opera and the classical technique. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what I'll do. And I'll go and study music at university. And I wanted to do a bachelor. So I did my bachelor of music. So that really kind of led me into more classical forms of music because I didn't, I didn't do the, I don't know why I didn't consider the jazz course. I think for me, it was more about the vocal technique and, and developing my instrument to its extreme. So it was more about the instrument than it was the composition at that point? Correct. Or? Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to be the best player of my instrument. And to me, that was like delving into classical technique. When did composition then become a thing? Because it's a wonderful thing you do do. Mm. So when did that come in? Was that like a middle of uni? I think it was always sort of brewing in the background. Um, like I had a lot to say and I had a lot of opinions about how like musical composition and you know I put a lot of myself into all my performance and I knew like very soon I'd sort of want more agency mm. over my artistic expression than purely performing other people's works yeah but it came really quite late in my personal career and I think that's because I kind of got on this opera treadmill that kind of took me many many years to kind of go along and get to a point where I'm like this is not where I belong <laughs> and that was a good probably 10 years with uni and young artist programs and things like that and it was as I was kind of just removing myself from the operatic industry just going this is like I've taken a wrong turn somewhere along the line. By doing that though did you end up with a bit of a community because of that? The opera people weren't my people. I just felt so at odds in that environment and I guess it was a battle internally about like you know feeling pressure to do this elite style of performance mm. against actually what my heart was saying that um, I just wanted to express myself as an artist and connect to human beings and I just I thought that I could go in there as myself and really morph the operatic industry but it was just too big and ghastly to have an impact on in that way and it defeated me in many ways. You wanted to jazz it up. I did want to jazz it up. I just wanted to kind of show them that, you know, well, I was interested in human connection and I just didn't find it in opera. Yeah, for many, many reasons. And actually all the while, well, I have probably halfway through that 10-year journey, um, I kind of started rebelling and reconnecting with my pop kind of connection. So that was when I was like singing with Coda, doing all the big music festivals with those guys and really kind of feeding my soul in that way. But I'd sneak off, like I would sneak off in the middle of an operatic production. I wouldn't tell anyone because I'd get in huge trouble if I did. And I'd fly down, you know, do a big music festival and stay up all night yeah, and party. You were then... having an affair with Coda. I was having an affair with Coda and the evil pop music and then I'd fly back and you know put on my other hat and I really did feel like very kind of split personality during that time and then it was when I just sort of said no this is enough I need to actually re-find the right path and that's when I started experimenting with songwriting and it was just so healing and composition as well as I was saying yeah and composition so at that point you, you've got a vehicle for your freedom haven't you mm, that's right yeah I've had such a, an eclectic 
kind of performance history, which includes opera, but jazz and cabaret and music theatre and early mm. music. But when I started composing, that was a place where I could bring all those things together. I couldn't find that anywhere else except in my own music. <laughs> How does it feel to just sit down and compose? Because I get a feeling initially, at least, composing is just you. Yeah, definitely. That is my process. I like to get out what I need to get out um, initially. I just find it a really kind of healing, coming coming home process. Performing is very outward focused. You're giving a lot, mm. you know, trying to connect outward. Whereas for me, the initial process of songwriting is really coming in and connecting to what it is that I need to kind of process or say. How do you deal with the tension that is being so outward so often in terms of performing? Because you come from a family that did that, mm. performing all the time, pleasing the masses en masse, mm. often. Mm. How do you deal with that? I'm sort of a very kind of inward, quiet, private person, actually. So I find it really taxing and exhausting, even though I really love it. But I give everything in my work and in my performing. And then the way I counteract that is to just totally shut down. <laughs> Close inwards, I really need quiet me time, um, which is harder and harder to find these days. Does that inspire more composition? <laughs> yeah, or... it does. Okay, so you don't need mm. to break away from composition. Composition is still your friend at that stage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The composition is what happens in those quiet moments when I'm just with myself that's when my ideas come and I feel free and safe to kind of let things out Parachute was the single that I was so proud to put on the wireless back in 2016 and I knew there was better things to come after that and there has been and Rise Up is the new album Good Grief the lead single we'll talk about in just a moment the album overall Rise Up as an album is really tracking sort of two parallel paths which are kind of intimate personal journeys. One is following a journey of grief after the loss of my father under quite tragic circumstances. And then the other one is kind of the loss of myself as I knew it, as a woman becoming a mother and just that kind of woman's journey where you grieve past versions of yourself and come into your own in a whole new and unexpected way. Take very similar paths side by side yeah and is the central hinge of that the idea of family in terms of the closeness maybe of a parent and a daughter a mother and their child great time for cleaning <laughs> um, <laughs> is that what we're talking about um not necessarily i would say it's a connection to oneself and one's identity i guess within the context of family um and those family relationships so you know the journey around the loss of my father was really processing deeply what that relationship was and what it is now that it's gone revisiting that relationship and all the amazing things about it and coming to an acceptance of that it's not there anymore and what that means in a father-daughter relationship and then the other side of it is I guess that shift in relationship to myself as I've changed from being the kind of individual woman in the world that I thought I would be and then shifting to become a mother and and what that means 
to my identity and how I relate to myself and relate to my children and therefore relate to humanity. Yeah, I think the album was really born out of that kind of um, collision of juxtaposition of life events when because when dad died my second child was two months old so there was this sort of collision of you know losing someone really significant in my life and gaining someone really significant in my life at the same time rise up the single might be about something a little bit different the album expands this concept of you know relationship with self and being a woman i guess accepting and coming into my own power in a way that I hadn't expected. Get told these promises of, you know, well, women are equal and you're, you can be independent, you can be whatever you want and, you know, you can... Thank you. <laughs> ..do whatever job you want. And... I'm sorry, I'm not sure if this is inappropriate, <laughs> but I think your father would have uh, liked that comedy. Yes, he would have. <laughs> he would have gone crazy <laughs> with that noise in the background. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know, I guess it's sort of misleading expectations and pipe dreams thinking you're gonna have I I found becoming a mother really difficult basically and all of a sudden my independence was sort of taken from me and my agency over my time and my choices and the trajectory of my life was massively impacted Um, and I sort of found myself thrust into a much more structured framework than I would have liked. And not um, a framework about your time, about another human's time. Yeah. And two now. That's right. And two. And I was really conflicted by that want to be like an amazing mother um, in a certain way. But also I had this calling to be this sort of free-spirited artist that could just express myself whenever and however I felt. They, the two didn't quite match up. Um But I guess it took me a long time to come into my power as a mother and a woman in that sense and really accept and acknowledge and appreciate actually all that has come with that. Did being a mother for you not have as great a currency about being a woman? Wasn't so huge in your your outlook, your, your plans? No, it wasn't. I guess for me... I don't know whether it was just the time that I had kids or my personal circumstances, but it was tricky. Like it actually impacted negatively on, you know, my passion to be an artist. The two, I couldn't find a way to to bring the balance, the two in a, in a satisfactory, <laughs> satisfactory way. But tell me that, we now have an album. Yeah, totally. And I have a feeling by the end of this conversation, we're going to hear about a lot of other works that you're now working on. Mm. So something did change in that. There was some sort of realisation somewhere in there. Totally. And I think it was just a total... I had to sort of go into some really dark places and grieve for a sense of loss of what I thought I wanted. And, And then sort of settle into this really wonderful, beautiful place of acceptance and joy seeing things in a different way and at the same time the world was giving you other grief that was Mm. quite uncontrollable yeah nothing you could control it Mm. was the individual and what they were going through at the time yeah that's right and both you know kind of felt thrust into chaos then just had to sort of find a home in that how did music help with that was music still in the picture and how did it help 
Yeah, well, music left for the for about two years, for the two hard years. I just was thrust into, like, I don't know what you'd call it, like just... Numbness? Yeah, maybe. And I just had to pack it all away very, very quickly. Obviously, there was so much heartbreak um, that I just couldn't process because I was staring literally at this new innocent soul that had entered my life and that was looking at me for you know nurturing and loving and guidance and I just had to create a beautiful welcoming space for this new baby to enter into I couldn't kind of fall apart and allow this child to come into some kind of chaotic broken home that's with a mother that's falling to pieces like just couldn't do that so I kind of just put it all aside and knew that there was an album in there. <laughs> like, um, But I just had to wait until it was the time to really sift through and work through all that stuff and find a space, a couple of solitary spaces where I could really pull out some pretty big things. Start 2017, a dark time. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out how Parachute actually helped me. So I'm wondering what Parachute is about and why it came into existence. And maybe that will help me understand why it was such an important song during that time. Parachute. Yeah, I still love Parachute. <laughs> um, this is from the Emerge EP. I guess for me, Parachute is about not delving into the darkness and being too afraid to touch that ground where all the frightening things are. So it's about pleading for someone to be your parachute to keep you lifted and distant from those scary truths that are lurking in the real world. And in your case, nothing like a newborn to do that. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for releasing Parachute. Hi, I'm Rishi K. Sherway. And I'm Joshua Molina. We're from the West Wing Weekly, and you're currently listening to Radio Notes. Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music, and more. You can join us on the West Wing Weekly for an episode-by-episode breakdown of the television show The West Wing. Josh was the star of the show, and we give you behind-the-scenes insights and deep dives into the issues raised in the storylines of the show. You can find us on radiotopia.fm or through your favorite podcaster. For now, back to John Merch and Radio Notes. We're currently in conversation with Jessica O'Donoghue and we're speaking today on the back of the album Rise Up. One of the singles from it is called Good Grief. Good Grief is probably um, the close, most closely connected to the loss of my dad and it's really about that grieving process and why it's called Good Grief is that, you know, it's a relief at finally being able to enter into that process which is painful and beautiful and healing and it's faceted kind of emotional experience. There's pain and beauty and it was about seeing all those things. I really wanted to dive in and experience it wholly, the good and the bad, and not kind of omit any part of that experience. How are you finding that performing that one live? Yeah, look, it's, it, again, it's sometimes it's really hard and other times it's really beautiful and healing. With Parachute in mind, for much of my time, I really just kind of put off 
you know, really delving into those experiences and really fully living them. Um, and that didn't serve me well. So I found grief, good, you know, grief and the song Good Grief is about just immersing myself in that experience, feeling it through all the layers and living life at its fullest with all the goods and all the bads and just like really properly being in every moment. The follow-on for Eyes Up, There We're Single, you say. You've mentioned to me prior that it's birthed from the album, but it's not on the album. Can I ask you, Director Jessica, why is that the case? Why, why did this song that you're about to talk to us about not make it onto the album? This song, um, it's called Lule My Liking. And it was the first song that I wrote when I went to write the album. I decided it was time you know, to write the album. So I carved out, you know, some space in a studio and planned it because I have to plan it because I've got kids. (laughs) Uh, And I sat down to write and nothing came out. And I'm like, oh, God, okay, maybe I'm not ready to process. Maybe this album's not ready to come out. Maybe I'll buy a few more journals, and desks. (laughs) I need more plants in my life. (laughs) It was a total anticlimax. Here I was like, you know, two to three years building up this, all right, this album's coming. It's been brewing. It's just going to pour out of me. What a dress for the day. (laughs) And it's just like nothing. (laughs) So I left like after four hours with nothing. And I'm like, okay, let's maybe try that again next week. So I've carved out, went to the studio and sat down and out came this song immediately. Uh, You know, I had an idea in my head of like what I wanted to write about and out came this song and I'm like, whoa, this whole songwriting thing is pretty easy. I'm a genius. Uh, It came out. You kind of forgotten what happened (laughs) the week beforehand. Exactly, exactly. preparation was never a thing. (laughs) And it came out like words called, like pretty much exactly as you'll hear it. And I just recorded it on my iPhone to capture it. And then as I was on the bus on the way home, I was listening back and it just suddenly hit me that actually it wasn't my song. It was dad's song. And I could just hear him like it was his everything. And it was so profound when I realised that he just gifted me this song. And um, it was the most profound and powerful songwriting experience I've ever had. That was one song. And then, you know, subsequently I wrote other songs that came onto the album. And then the album was a long time in the making as well. And we were at the end stages and I was talking to my producer, Alex Dennison, and my engineer, David Trump-Manus, and we're like, we're so close, but there's just this one song, Lule My Heart, that's just not sitting on the album and I just I don't know what's happening this song man it's just got a life of its own and it wouldn't be changed and we couldn't really change the whole rest of the album to accommodate this song and I'm I sat with it for weeks just going what are we going to do with this and then I realized oh my god this song does not belong the cover song it's a cover song exactly and I just took it off and (laughs) it was like the album just locked in it all just went and the album was complete and the song was so happy being on its own. Before the press misquote me here, it's it's inspired by, it's not a song that, that he wrote that you remembered. And now no, no, no. It was to like... To be clear, Women's Day, the last song by Roy O'Donoghue, <laughs> performed by his daughter exactly. after his death. <laughs> no, it's full woo-woo, <laughs> woo, woo, exactly. Fully, like, sent from another 
place yes. through me. It was quite amazing. Yeah. But I still like, honestly, I would call it that song because, yeah, he lives and breathes in that song. And, and the message was from him to yes. us about forgiveness. And it was actually such an unlock. It was a gift for me and the family because he suicided. Um, a, a way of kind of explaining it just unlocked so much for me personally and I hope for loved ones that knew dad as to kind of I don't know it was do you mind if we include the Australian story in the show notes no yeah of course so Australian story is a documentary series it's, it's about um your father's life or Rory's life um and, and issues of the later part of his life and that will be in the show notes and it'll explain some of what we're referring to here if you need help 13 11 14 is lifeline's number 24 hours or resources at beyondblue.org.au talk to us more about that message in this song from the perspective of what you hope it is to achieve it's a tricky one it's such a sensitive topic to talk about so i just want to be careful about the language that i use but for me it was you know, I guess we all wanted Dad to um, just be different from what he was, I guess. And I think around serious mental illness, you know, unless you can really understand what that experience is, there's often an idea that, you know, well, can't you just think positive thoughts or can't you just suck it up or just forget about it? Um, and you just so want that person to be someone different, not have the experience that they're having, um, rather than sort of holding a space for who they are and what they're going through um, and trying to meet them where they are. It's always devastating when you lose a loved one in that way and there are just so many questions and about why and weren't we enough and um, why couldn't you stay for the grandchildren? Why couldn't you stay for us? Why couldn't you just, um, you know, not think the things that you were thinking? (laughs) Um, And... But the question why is not an answer. No, it's not. And I guess what his song really showed was just that you know i mean it it was really him just saying i'm sorry i couldn't be the person you wanted me to be and for me it was just so disarming that message it was again a lesson in acceptance of just going well who are we to force him to endure a lifetime of hell as such and that's not to say you know there are lots and lots of ways to seek help and and overcome these things if you are experiencing them but for him he just couldn't Mm. find that and yeah it was just an acceptance of letting go and forgiving him what concerns me is that it's those that give so much that seem to hold it in or or even experience at the level for which you're explaining there just reminds me at least how important it is for those support agencies for those that perform for us Mm. are looked after in whatever way as Mm. well and that's what also concerns me when i speak to a performer like you of asking how you're going because obviously there is 
the situation your father was in, but there's also the everyday struggles of being a performer. Mm. And, you know, we don't have to talk about the next two, uh, the last two years because we know what it's been like <laughs> for the last two years. We don't need to rehash that. We need, mm. need to look forward and see what other challenges are going to be coming up in the next years, decades, etc. for mm. you as a performer. Mm. And that's why when I sincerely ask, how are you going with the performing, which I'm doing now, mm. how are you going with that? How are you, how are you going with it, Jessica? Mm. This year's been interesting. I think where it was such an interesting time in a different way, um, where like live performance and so much was sort of taken away from us. Um, yeah, I really sort of felt this sense of loss and disconnect. Um, forgot who I was and what I was good at <laughs> and what I did. And I just suddenly didn't feel like myself because I was missing such a major part of my life. And then there was the shock of it all coming back so quickly on such a massive scale because essentially this year has been about fitting two and a half years of work into the one year. <laughs> um, yeah, and I actually just lost my mojo completely. It was really confronting to kind of get my flow back with performing and everything that I do. It was just like, oh, my God, that's right. Can I still sing? Can I still perform? Can I still do this? I don't know. And some amazing artists have just come with you. Like I think I saw like Alana Stone of all people working with you. Yes, yeah. I have an absolute professional admiration for Alana Stone. I, I saw um, her headlining with an artist called Megan Washington at the Vanguard many a year ago. I reckon it was 2009. Anyway, back yeah. then, Alana was the headline. I was just like... This, this this performer is going to go places. Talk to us about some of these other musicians and creatives that have been part of this journey so that you haven't been stuck. Mm, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I think that that's something that we missed in our musical community. I mean, COVID sort of robbed from us is that we are such a strong family, but we meet up and we connect on the scene and out there in gigs and mm. doing what we do. The it's alleyways. not. Yeah, but we don't, you know, you don't call up. Alana Stone and go, hey, you know, let's have a dinner party. You know, you're with each other working and on in the scene. Um, so we really miss that incidental, you know, connection. And so it's been awesome really releasing this album this year and really reconnecting with all those inspiring artists. I'm so about the collective and collaborating and joining forces with awesome people. I feed off that. I get inspiration for that. I like to kind of start by getting my little bit out and then I kind of bring it to the table. And I love then that process of chucking it around, people taking it and contributing and bouncing off it and it morphing and changing in that beautiful kind of communal landscape. You're like a star who brings in a galaxy you start shining and then the whole galaxy sort of comes around that it's great yeah i love that and i want to talk to you about the sydney festival which i know contemporary opera is what brings you to the sydney festival in mm. 2023 can i ask what you're doing for sydney fest um and what's happening there yeah so um i still do a lot of sort of contemporary opera performing and freelancing for contemporary art music composers stressing the word contemporary because the old opera not interested in traditional opera at all um yeah so to that end we're doing the Australian premiere of Mary Finster's new opera, Antarctica, um, which is a really beautiful work and it's quite a stunning production. And I'm singing and performing in that with Sydney Chamber Opera Company at Carriage Works. I heard it went off in Amsterdam. Yeah. In its world premiere. Yes, in its world premiere. And Talk to was... us about that. So you went to Amsterdam for that? Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It was heaps of fun. Yeah, played as part of Holland Festival over there and it's a collaboration with Asko Schoenberg who's a leading contemporary um, new music ensemble. What does contemporary opera mean for you? 
Look, for me, I have a really interesting relationship with opera. I feel like it should be the most powerful of all genres in terms of storytelling and connecting with an audience because you've got music, drama, design, live performance all on this very grand scale. Desire, passion, all these human emotions. Yeah, and the tools to kind of express that on such an epic scale. But it just falls so short, like it's so alienating and also it's embedded within the works are such sort of out of date and damaging narratives, stereotyping, violence against women. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm so passionate about the art form, but I'm also just passionate about using it for good, not but, uh, for evil. Are you interested in the subverting of that, of that old narrative and just going, no, this is what it's going to be now. So subverting in terms of, yeah, we're going to beat the old narrative by actually presenting it in its in its new clothes. Yeah, look, I mean, I think opera's been trying to do that for years, is to, like, take the old works and do something with them. But I just, like, enough of that. Like, yes, there were some masterpieces written back in the day, but, man, there are masterpieces to come. So let's evolve the opera through commissioning new works by composers that are still alive and stories that relate to our diverse and modern audience. Like we should be using that art form to tell contemporary, current, important narratives. What is this story about that we can catch at the Sydney Festival in 2023? Antarctica is an interesting journey. It talks about climate a lot, refers to what we're doing to the planet, but also... I guess where we're heading as a people, it raises questions about religion and belief, um, you know, in the context of personal human journeys and discovery. Um, Yeah, it really maps sort of how Antarctica was discovered and what they thought that they were going to find versus what they did find. I've got Greek mythology in my head for the Rise Up release. Mm. And I don't know whether or not I'm stuck on a song by Emily Hatton called Hades or whether or not Greek mythology plays a part in Rise Up. So does Greek mythology play a part in the Rise Up album? It does. So the actual, this single Rise Up is inspired by a traditional Greek song called Dance of Zalongu, which tells the story of women of Suli who, when they were captured by the Ottoman Empire, instead of kind of being imprisoned, women and children being imprisoned, actually mass suicide and they all jumped off a cliff with babes in arms dancing and singing Dance of Zalongu, which is the traditional Greek song. So it sort of tells that story, which is pretty heavy. Well, it's heavy because of your father's journey, yeah. but also you and motherhood. Yes. And here are mothers doing something that your father chose. Yes, exactly. It was pretty... <laughs> Just a little bit of light listening for all the... <laughs> People thanks, tuning in. Thanks. to um, coming up, Stay we'll, with us, Coming up, we'll be talking about the economy. <laughs> and should John Howard make a return to cricket? <laughs> um. Well, actually, I first came in contact with Dance of Zalangu when I was in uni and I was singing with Renaissance players, Winsome Evans. I don't know if you know Winsome. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She directed the Renaissance players and she was quite a eclectic, lovely personality. But... I sung Dance of Zalongu and it was I was so moved. It's such a beautiful song and melody, but also just the story. I just was so inspired by it in many ways. I just sort of thought it made me reflect on the sacrifices that women are forced to make for their own 
agency and freedom and how far women are willing to go to make a stand against, you know, being... um, Yes. You know. Yeah, basically being owned. Yeah, exactly. And so when I was sort of going through my own sort of journey of identifying who I was as a woman and trying to gain agency in a new context made me think of that story um, and then that sort of you know expanded into other stories like the suffragettes and not only women but just people who have been discriminated against and you know power taken away from them and how they've done just really heroic and amazing sacrifices. For me Rise Up is a call for action for for us to remember the sacrifices that were made and to keep fighting and not to give up and to understand where we are and how we got here thanks to some really amazing acts from people that have come before us and what we must continue to do for those who come after us. Let me ask then, because we're talking about text there, we're talking about reading, understanding, Mm. looking in the past, but what are you reading at the moment? What's consuming you in the way of text that you've been reading and maybe inspiring the music that you're continuing to make? Well, reading, I, um, I'm i really into psychology, actually, so, yeah. That's I, why I said the word text. <laughs> I was just like, we're not talking about the latest Trent Dalton. We're not talking about the latest Trent Dalton. No, I'm interested in psychology, but I guess also I've been reading some poems by Liz Berry called The Republic of Motherhood because another project that I'm working on is called The Mother Project and it's about um, investigating the motherhood experience, you know, the modern day motherhood experience and what that is now and I'm particularly interested in the economy and invisibility of care and what that means on a larger scale for women in society and what we value, I guess. Wanted to shine a light on, you know, some really broken things that we're still kind of dealing with as women you know when I hear people say oh what's what's why is there still a gender pay gap um and it's like well as soon as women become parents you know there's a lot of study done about this now um but as soon as women become parents their earning potential goes down their superannuation drops dramatically for for men it's different it's the opposite actually they often they get promotions and their earning potential goes up yeah and I just sort of really wanted to shine a light on what motherhood really is now and what we're dealing with and can i then ask how much of that reflects on what parenthood should be it's a tricky one like i've got like a lot of feelings around this because also i had a home birth and i believe in like i really wanted to breastfeed my kids and um so there are certain choices that i made that meant that my experience of parenthood was a certain way very hands-on yeah Yeah, very much there and then you know there are people who have different choices around that and sure you can have a choice but then I wonder you know that raises the question of you know who is missing out there you know like the you know you can't really kind of layer on judgment of saying you know it's better to breastfeed your kids than feed them a formula or whatever because you know not everyone can breastfeed their children but it's sort of like we don't know yet what's best for children's development, whether it's good for them to go to childcare really early or whether it's good for them to, you know, be breastfed for a longer amount of time or whatever. Anyway, it's like a pretty delicate topic. But it's interesting to- that even now we don't know and we've been having kids being born for so many, like so many years. Mm. 
that we still don't know what's best. Yeah. And I guess it's tricky because, you know, I, I sort of like, I guess I'm trying to justify my choices, which is a whole other thing because that's sort of pressure from society to justify, you know, why I chose, you know, maybe it's my fault and my choice that I sort of tied myself so much to my kids, which, you know, impacted my earning potential and my career progression. Mm. Maybe other women make other choices which impacts their relationship with their kids potentially but you know their career is less affected I don't know but I mean I think the bottom line is that the whole carer role is not valued in society Mm. Um, and we're still kind of um, evaluating women's success on male values so it's like you're a successful woman if you're a CEO of a company you're a successful woman if you're earning the same as a man but we should be valuing more the role of the carer, which can be done by the men and the women mm. or anyone. But I think the very fact that it's not valued, that, you know, people aren't putting their hands up to do it willingly. Um, and, you know, more and more companies and organisations are kind of offering paternity leave and things like that to kind of try and get an equality. But no men are really taking them up on that offer. And there's huge kind of questions around that. Like it's very unusual when people are like, oh, when a man takes maternity leave, but there's no, it's just expected that the woman mm. will do it. And, I, you know, there's biology that has a role to play in that because the woman still has to grow at birth, you know, bear yeah. and birth the child and mm-hmm. only breastfeed the child and things like that. So, you know, physically, yeah. you know, we're tired in that way. But I think a lot happens in those early stages where the woman, you know, has no choice in the matter of how involved she is, mm. you know, in the parenting, that yeah. immediate parenting. And then it's very, very difficult to regain equality after that period. What kind of realisation will this mother project take on board? Is it a tour? Is it an album? Is it a... Um, so at the moment, it's just I've got some great funding um, to basically creative develop the concept and the concept is um, like a multidisciplinary music-based stage work so not an opera but kind of like an opera I suppose (laughs) opera is a bit of a dirty word in mind so it's I'm composing on it and I've got other artists composing Jane Sheldon, Alex Dennison, Brie Van Rake and Nadi Simpson. Musically it's a really eclectic multifaceted interpretation and then we're working with a director, a designer What's your palette when it comes to music? It all starts with a voice because I'm just right. obsessed. So voice with the first voice. for you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think for me it's just like such an immediate connection because it's just human to human. The voice has so much power in that and it's so expressive and it's also my instrument of choice so I just know it intimately. And then I would say like beat and rhythm like for me singing and drums are like the core of that that global element yes exactly it's like tribal it's like it's if you reduce everything down everyone loves to whack stuff and dance to a groove and everyone you know connects to the human voice so they're just the two essential core musical powerful elements well the beat of mother's heart is one of the first things Mm, people hear yeah exactly yeah exactly and then in that I just sort of love anything and everything I can get my hands on to kind of express emotions in a really powerful way so you know that's when I draw on synths and I use a lot of vocal harmony to really create tension and release in my music what about a visual album then? Is that in the works? Yes. 
Rise Up was created as like a, a long form work. It was really about the whole album experience um, and we really created it with that in mind. So it, it is a non-stop musical experience. That's the deluxe listening experience. So if you're streaming on Spotify, you need to go to the very bottom track, which says continuous album mix. That's why the full album is that's there the again. Whole, yeah. There's a reason why there's a repeat because as you're saying that's the actual yes. blended mix. And it has transition tracks in it so unheard sort of bits of music that connect the separate songs that you hear previously listed okay. in spotify um so it's a tricky one because spotify and streaming really just have annihilated the art of album making i assume the cd <laughs> yeah. is that experience it is that's exactly right Brilliant. yeah to support that kind of almost 40 minute listening experience i've working with a beautiful director, Saskia Burmeister. And Where should we know them from? Well, she actually did my um, Good Grief video clip. Yeah, she's a beautiful director, artist, filmmaker. So we've got an album-length film coming out, but I really wanted it to be an evolution of the album too, so I sort of gave her a rough idea of the narrative and my personal journey, but also gave her complete freedom to evolve that story and make that it excites into you. a film. That, that excites you because that's that collaboration that, thing. Yeah. As we've said right at the beginning, Jessica starts with the idea but then is quite willing to invite other people along. I love that. And that's where the magic happens. Yeah, exactly. For me, that's so exciting. And this idea of more art being born from art <laughs> and inspiring each other and creating a community where that thriving of artists is my happy place. <laughs> what was the last song or album you listened to? Um, I just listened to Lior's Compassion, which I love. Yeah, and Nigel Westlake, yeah. Have you performed with Lior? No, I haven't. But a lot of my friends have, yeah, play in his band. and But I haven't personally. I want to ask about chamber music. I think I know, but I'll ask the question. What is chamber music and how does it differentiate from any other experience of the classical form? Well, chamber music, I guess, is just like on a smaller scale. So a chamber orchestra is a smaller version of a full Mm-hmm. orchestra and I guess that facilitates a more intimate connection between the artists and a more artist-led kind of performance so rather than always requiring a conductor at the front you can just feel each other a bit more like a band that's what I liked about your work with Coda and, mm. and all that that was coming out around that time it, it did feel like if not improvisation at least there could be a change in the live performance where it was required mm. oh yeah Coda were very kind of improv-based and lots of kind of jamming and just rough, loose structures was always different every time we performed them. Yeah, it's great. Where to from now, Jessica? So the album is out. We've got a new single on the way. What's coming up after the single? So single, single is the next focus for you. Yeah. Because now you can get back into it. You can... You found, you found your, your mojo? Yeah, yeah. The kids are getting older. Oh, I've got to worry about them, do I? Oh. <laughs> well, the older they get, the more trouble they are, I tell you. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean you want to be a singer? <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> Don't do it. But on a serious note, what, do you, what, what is the focus? So the single's next focus? Yeah, I'm going to release the single and also work on releasing the film and we're going to yeah. tour the film so it's going to be a nice event so I'll, I'll actually tour the film and then follow it with a very stripped back acoustic what do you enjoy cooking 
What do I enjoy cooking? I had a daydream. You and another special guest, I don't know who it was, I think it was uh, maybe a director of a symphony, someone in that ilk, on the cook-up with Adam Liao. Oh, what? I had this daydream. I was there going, uh-huh. Make it happen. And I don't know why you were making <laughs> seafood. <laughs> I they- tell you what I enjoy cooking yeah. is a curry. I love cooking Indian curries and I cook them from scratch. And it's we actually had, we had friends over the other night and I cooked four <laughs> different amazing curries. It's all Did from scratch. Have- I spent oh, okay, all so day. It wasn't based on the same. Okay. No, no. And I spent all day and I was just loving myself sick doing that and they were so good and yeah curries i love to cook a curry i love to eat a curry can you break down one or two of these curries well one was a lamb kind of style curry one was fish and veggie i made like a um brinjal which is eggplant the eggplant curry okay is that for those that are vegan yeah well it's always nice to have a veggie in the mix isn't it yes yeah so what's your favorite vegetable to work with then I do love an eggplant, I've got to say, because it, it can do so many different things. Mm. I'm, I quite like to make baba ganoush, you know, and you just chuck the whole thing in the oven and it just roasts and then you scoop it out and it's so good. And how I made this brinjal was cutting it up and roasting it first and then it gets this amazing flavour. What was the most valuable thing you learnt during all that university and high school, particularly university time? Because you were there, as we said at the start, for a while. Mm. I think for me it was largely connected to what do I want to say about that I think well I learned a lesson by being part of renaissance players which was this sort of early music group but it was really um unceremonious like it was just winsome treated early baroque renaissance music like pop music and our concerts were like this big dance party and I just really loved that it was about finding authenticity and really um sort of smashing away kind of um preconceived ideas about ancient things um and and showing that you can interact with it in a contemporary you know current way because what's timeless is humans connection to music and dance and partying and entertainment and all that sort of stuff and so I think that that's really lived and breathed in everything that I do because I, I do draw from classical music and early works and ancient sort of things but I really kind of like to bring it into a current context that is relevant that we can connect to in the here and now. And as we've mentioned throughout this chat you're using that to change the narrative a bit as well Mm. the air mentorship program i think it was gendered based yeah that was really great program and they're still running it essentially it's a women in music mentorship program and it's really connecting women in the industry with other women in 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 the industry in a mentoring capacity it just had an array of resources and sort of you know information industry information and workshops and guest speakers and everything sort of available to all the people involved in the program. Plus, you know, you got paired up with a specific mentor. And I actually got paired up with Claire Cross, who's a Melbourne muso bass player. She sort of runs women in music jazz programs. She's an amazing composer. But I think we sort of got paired up because she was sort of in multi-genre 
world like I am and she also traverses sort of being a composer and a performer but also running artistic programs and facilitating larger artistic collaborations and projects so we really connected on all those levels and it was just great to kind of share stories learn from each other and just sort of be part of a community of females Mm. and women in music you know to get a sense of belonging and ownership you should check out her music actually it's like super cool jessica o'donoghue album rise up out through art as catharsis find jessica online at jessicaodonoghue.com Thank you to Jessica O'Donoghue for being our feature guest today. On the feed, we'll be releasing a reissue of our conversation with Zanny ahead of her 2023 album, An Inaccurate History of Electronic Music. So if you subscribe and follow, that will be dropping in your feed soon. Our next feature guest will be Joe Hildebrand of Sky News, News Limited, as well as various other media outlets talking about his favourite music. And Kelly Lang, friend of Olivia Newton-John, will join us to talk about thriving through her cancer journey. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 